All right, today we're going to be looking at a few verses here in Hebrews chapter 1. Remember, Hebrews is teaching us and showing us that Christ is supreme. He is superior. And before we get into what uh, the Holy Spirit says here in regards to Christ being supreme over angels, I suppose it's good for us to mention there's a lot of confusion over angels and there has been for a while, a lot of confusion over angels. In fact, uh, I was just reading what what C.S. Lewis had to say in the preface to his book, The Screwtape Letters. Uh, I'm curious, any of you ever read Screwtape Letters? Interesting, very interesting. Uh, there's this dialogue going on between uh, you know various uh, demons and, and Satan and you know, so forth. Interesting uh, perspective there, but... It, in his preface to the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis complains about the progressively distorted picture of angels. And if you want to get a distorted picture of what that looks like, just do a Google Images search. <laughs> you get thousands of, of various ideas. And uh, I'll just quote here from, from Lewis, and you can see some of the, the, the pictures I found on Google that shows what, what Lewis is talking about. And excuse me if I don't say these people right. I don't know how to pronounce them. But Lewis says this, quote, Frey Angelico's angels carry in their face and gesture the peace and authority of heaven. There's one of his paintings. Lewis goes on to say, Later come the chubby, infantile nudes of Raphael. Raphael's another very famous painter. You can see... There's this idea that that angels were chubby, fat little babies with wings, you know, sitting on clouds playing harps and so forth, right? That's that's one image of angels. But then he goes on, Lewis says, finally, the soft, slim, girlish angels of 19th century art. How often have you seen angels depicted as female? By the way, does the Bible say angels are female? No, <laughs> but anyway, so so Lewis ends his quote by saying, they are a pernicious symbol, end quote. They're a pernicious symbol. So before we get into what Hebrews says about Christ being superior over angels, we need to make sure we know at least a little bit of what are angels. What are angels? Well, we, we don't want necessary to get our idea from Dr. Google <laughs> or religious ards or walking around the cemetery might give you a pernicious symbol as well. So what are angels? Well, I'll just share a few things of what the Bible says and then we'll get into this, okay? Number one, angels are spirit beings. Uh, in other words, they do not have flesh and blood as you and I do. However, angels do have bodies. They do have bodies. We, 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 people throughout the Bible have seen angels with bodies, <laughs> even though they are spirit beings. Number two, angels can appear in human form. In fact, uh, if you read Hebrews 13, it says, uh, in fact, in Hebrews 13, we're warned to even be careful how you treat a stranger because you could entertain an angel without actually knowing it. So that means an angel could be in your presence and appear to be just like another human being, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. 
So obviously they can appear in human form. Number three, angels can also appear in other forms. Uh, well, one that comes to my mind is Matthew chapter 28. Uh, it was speaking of, a, of an angel there at Christ's resurrection. Remember when an angel came and, and rolled away the, the stone that was blocking the tomb of Jesus. And Matthew said the, the appearance of the angel, he, he gives some specific details. Notice what Matthew says. He says his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. By the way, that's a normal uh, occurrence when people see angels in the Bible. They either want to bow down and worship him, or they're they're falling down for fear. <laughs> is is often the the response to angels. But number four, angels are also highly intelligent. And by the way, they also have emotions, God-given emotions. Uh, for example. You read in Luke chapter 15, we see the angels are actually rejoicing over one sinner that has come to repentance in Christ. So the angels of heaven are rejoicing over this one lost sheep who's come to Christ. Obviously, they have, they have, they have emotions, therefore. And number five, angels do not marry, and they are unable to procreate. In other words, they... They can't have babies, of course, according to Matthew chapter 22. So when you read other passages like Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it, it seems they, have, uh, they were all created at the same time. Now, when exactly were angels created? Well, there's various ideas on that, okay? Uh, my, my personal opinion is they were created at least on day three of creation, if not just before that. So my guess is somewhere between day one and day three of, of the six days of creation. But that, that's a non-essential. But, but it seems certainly from Scripture that God created them all at the same time. The other thing we need to, to note is that they can't die. You, you can't kill an angel. They never grow old. Uh, scripture doesn't tell us that. In fact, Scripture nowhere indicates they can die or, or can be annihilated. Uh, in fact, Revelation 12 tells us that a third of the angels fell with Satan. Uh, so they, they, they were kicked out of heaven, if you will. And so those, those good angels then became bad angels, and we call them demons. Uh, so they are demonic spirit beings, and each is a direct permanent creation of God. And they, they do stand in a, a permanent, or sorry, a, a personal relationship to their creator. Angels are created beings. Uh, their number, therefore, if they can't die or be annihilated, then that number stays the same, static, throughout all human history. Uh, they're not procreating. They can't, they can't add to their number and they can't decrease their number. And number seven, angels were created before men. Uh, so we know mankind was created on day six of creation. And so they're going to be older than we are. Uh, how, how many there are, we don't know exactly for sure. It's interesting, the Bible, in describing the number of the angels in Revelation, uh, the Apostle John sees this vast heavenly multitude of angels 
there at God's throne and and the Apostle John just says the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. In other words, there's a lot of them, okay? That's the point. And then number eight, angels are highly organized. Uh, apparently they're divided in, even into ranks, like, like a military rank, for example. So the Bible talks about the various classes of angels. The ones we, we know about for sure would be cherubim and seraphim. And then apparently there's, a, there's also this, this special class of angels. The Revelation talks about the living creatures. Uh, very, very interesting group. You can read about that in Revelation. Number nine, there, there's, angels are more powerful than we are. And therefore, men must call on God's power to deal with Satan and the demons. Uh, we dare not try to attack them and, and deal with them on our own because we're, we're not able to. Uh, so that's why we're told in places like Ephesians chapter 6, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. For our struggles not against flesh and blood. And so these, these fallen angels are mighty beings, wise beings, been around a long time. Another thing we learn from the Bible, number 10, is angels can, can move and, and act with incredible speed. So it, it, it seems they're not, they're not subject per se to the law of gravity, for example. Uh, it seems they could travel, you know, maybe even faster than the speed of light. I don't know exactly how fast they go. Bible doesn't say, but they are very fast. And it's interesting, the Bible often pictures angels with, with wings, which again, suggesting this ability to travel fast. Number 11, angels have a ministry, a God-given ministry. In fact, they, they minister to God. The Bible clearly shows us that. They do God's bidding. The angel just means messenger. Often you see them delivering messages for God. And so the Bible shows the angels as spectators, yes, but they're also doing God's work. He doesn't need them, but that's the way God has chosen to do it. So they're spectators and participants in God's work. But angels 12 also minister to the saints. Uh, we see them watching over Christ church, for example. Uh, they, they have the ministry of protecting God's people. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some examples in a moment, but uh, that's some of the things they do. But they also, number 13, they, they even minister to unsaved people. Now, uh, now, if you're unsaved, this is not a ministry you want to receive from an angel because uh, the Bible shows they announce and inflict God's judgment. So, for example, read Revelation 4 and 5. And then in chapter 6, we see all these judgments start to be poured out on the unsaved people of the earth during the tribulation. So Jesus Christ, the only one who's worthy to open the scroll of judgments, but Jesus Christ hands that over to the angels. And then they, they announce this, and they're the ones bringing, if you will, and inflicting the judgment. So little exercise there. We need to understand a little bit about angels to, to recognize they are truly awesome beings. Uh, they are God-created beings. But despite the fact of their awesomeness, their significance here is decreasing in the presence of Christ. 
So the, the point of Hebrews is, is not to exalt angels, but to exalt Christ. And so we come to the proposition here of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 to 14, which here's my proposition, that God wants you to believe that Christ is superior to angels. So with that in mind, we come to our text, Hebrews 1. Let's start reading in verse 4. Hebrews 1, verse 4. And it's talking about Christ here, if you read the previous context, because it says, "...having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to Him a Father, and He shall be to Me a Son." And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment... They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That ends chapter 1. Hopefully you can see there that God wants you to believe that Jesus Christ is superior to angels. But as I was studying this uh, last week, this passage last week, it occurred to me that why is this in the Bible? (laughs) Uh, You know, don't we all like already believe that Jesus Christ is superior to angels? I mean, why did the author write this section? We need to know the authorial intent here. Well, Here's my understanding after my study. We need to understand, of course, this was written to the Hebrews, the race of Hebrew, or the ethnicity of Hebrews. So some of these Jewish believers were in danger of compromise. You say, well, what were they in danger of compromising? Well, they were, they were in danger of compromising or replacing Jesus to go back to their religion of Judaism. See, you need to understand their situation. Put yourself in their sandals for a moment. You ever heard that saying, walk around in someone's shoes and it helps you to understand them? Here's what you need to do. okay? Because these people were under great pressure. Uh, They were in danger of being, well, they were. uh, If you were a Christian, a Hebrew Christian, you were ostracized for being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And so they were ostracized by their Jewish countrymen in the, in the synagogue. Synagogue was their, their place of worship. It was their community center, if you will. It was, it was central to their whole life. Very important place. And so they, they wouldn't be allowed to go there. And so basically they're being tempted to compromise on who Christ is. Now you might say, well, you know, I can't identify with that temptation. I can't identify. Well, maybe some of you can, but I would imagine some of you can't identify with that temptation. You know who Christ is. It's fully settled in your mind, your heart, and there's no way you're going to compromise on that, and, and, and you're, you're, you're quite happy to go to heaven and, and become a martyr even for that. And so if you can't identify with that temptation, well, you know, I, okay, maybe, maybe you can't. But maybe that you can identify with the temptation to not make Christ supreme in your everyday life. We, we can all identify with that, I hope. See, we often face tension in this, in this area where, where the world the, and Satan and your own indwelling sin want to bring Christ down. Don't make Him Lord of everything. You know, it's, it's <laughs> so we just bring Him down. So we face tension. And you say, well, why? Well, the world doesn't like the exclusivity of Christ. Just like they didn't like the exclusivity of Christ back in the first century. See, Rome, Rome's quite happy for you to make Jesus another god amongst the pantheon of, of many gods. But just don't make him the only god. And that's why Christians died for their faith, oftentimes. Because Christ is Lord. So the world doesn't like the exclusivity of Christ. See, the world can't handle Christ fully, who He really is. Quite happy to have Him as a baby in a manger. You know, the world can only handle a little bit of Christ. And, and so, don't say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. See, the world doesn't want to hear that. Your unsaved workmates don't want to hear that. Family members don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way. Say something else about Jesus. You know, they're, they're fine to hear that Jesus is a good teacher or Jesus had a good you know, ethic or good morals. But don't say Jesus is the only way to heaven because that makes them exclusive. Say Jesus is something else. And so for the Hebrew Christians, the pressure was even greater for them than it is even for us today. See, everything was at stake for them. Everything's on the line. See, their job was on the line. Their whole community was at stake. Their family was at stake. And sometimes even their own life was at stake. There's great pressure here to compromise on who is Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews is determined that his friends and his People are not going to fall to this temptation. So what does he do here? He demonstrates that Christ is superior to angels. Angels are awesome, but Christ is even more awesome. Right? That's, that's the, he's far superior to angels. So let's see here in the text, what does the text teach us about how is Christ superior to angels? Now, I'm glad you asked that question. I knew you were thinking that. And the, the author here is thinking that. So let's look at a few points here just from the text of how Christ is superior to angels. Number one, 
Christ is superior because he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Now, we have this title mentioned here in verses 4 and 5. He is called the Son. By the way, your Bible might have uh, the various Old Testament quotations indented, so it looks a little different. Heaps of Old Testament quotations here. This one happens to come from Psalm chapter 2. And so you look at this question here in Hebrews 1, verse 5. It's an interesting question. It just says, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is none. God never said that to any angels. This is a rhetorical question. The point is that Jesus is supreme because he is the only one whom God has called his son. God never said he would be a father to an angel, although he did bring them into existence. The angels are ministers. The angels are messengers of God. Only Christ is the son. The angels are just created servants. Obviously, if they're created servants, that makes them subservient and lesser than Christ. So when the eternal Christ came to earth as a servant, he also assumed this title of God's Son. Therefore, he obtained a far more excellent name, as it says, or or a more excellent title. He became God the Son. Number two, we see that Christ is superior because he is worshipped. He is worshipped. Verse 6 mentions another quotation from the Psalms, Psalm 97 in this case, which mentions, let all God's angels worship him. That's talking about Jesus. So even though Christ humbled himself, even though he was made for a time, the Bible says, according to Philippians, made for a time a little lower than the angels, the angels are to worship Jesus Christ. Not the other way around. So Christ must be, therefore, greater than the angels if the angels are worshiping Christ. Does that make sense? So it's showing the superiority of Christ over angels. And and obviously, since He's greater than the angels, then His covenant is also greater than the ones the angels brought in the old covenant at Mount Sinai. Christ brings the new covenant, which is greater than the old covenant covenant therefore christianity here's the point for a hebrew christianity is greater than judaism because the new covenant trumps the old covenant number two christ is superior because he's worshiped and number three christ is superior over angels because he has a very unique nature well that's one of the things that makes him god he's holy he is unique he's distinct he's separated from his creation the angels are not like exactly like god so again here in verses 7 through 9 we got old testament quotations coming specifically from probably from psalm 45 and psalm 104 it's interesting here in verse 7 though the holy spirit shows the basic difference between the nature of angels and christ if i was to ask you what is the basic difference between an angel and jesus christ what would you say i hope you have a good answer for that well helpful if you look at the words here the word makes there means to create means 
to create. Verse 7 says that He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. So in other words, He he created them. And so since Christ created the angels, just like He did everything else, He's obviously then superior to angels. So not only were they created by Him, Colossians 1.16 says they were made for Jesus. They are His possession. They're His angels. They are His ministers. Notice it. it is possessive in verse 7. It says He makes His angels and His ministers. These angels are possessed by Jesus Christ because He is the Creator of the angels. And verse 8 is an amazing verse. Don't just read through this. This is powerful. In fact, it has to be one of the most important statements in all of Scripture showing the deity of Christ. So, if you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness like my wife was last week, this, this is a good verse to show them. So those who say that Jesus is just a man or just one of the many angels, or one of the many prophets of God, or he's just kind of some sub-God, well, they're lying. And they're, they're, they're bringing upon themselves the curse of God, in fact, because Jesus is no less than God. Because look what verse 8 says. Of the Son, here's what God the Father and the Holy Spirit say. This is referring to Jesus. It says, Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever. God the Father and the Holy Spirit called Jesus God. You can't get a greater statement than that. So the Father says to the Son here as well, this is interesting, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God the Father is, of course, acknowledging God the Son. And it's irrefutable proof of the deity of Christ coming from God the Father Himself. Uh, Well, verse 8 is amazing. There's so much could be said about this. But let me just point out that Christ has an eternal throne. So King Jesus is an eternal King. And He's going to rule throughout all eternity as God and King. He is the eternal King with an eternal kingdom. And he has an eternal scepter of righteousness. Uh, You you know, kings back in the old days would have these scepters, kind of a kingly thing to do, and it was an emblem of of their power that they would use. And so we see that, that, that imagery here, that he is the rightful king. He is the one with all power. So Christ is superior because he has a unique nature. And it's interesting, verse 9 is elaborating on Christ's nature. Notice what it says about Christ's nature in verse 9. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. We can't say this about ourselves. Angels can't even say this about themselves. This is Christ's very nature. His heart is someone who loves righteousness and hates wickedness he cannot love sin because it's totally against his nature 
He loves what is right, what is good. That's who he is, deep inside him. Anyway, that's, that's amazing. Look forward to the day when, when we can be like Christ. Well, number four, how else is Christ superior to angels? Well, we see here he's superior because he's eternal and unchangeable. Verses 10 through 12 tell us this. Christ is eternal and unchangeable. So, we, we, we've, we see since Jesus was in the beginning, always been, in other words, nobody created Jesus, uh, then therefore he must have existed before the beginning of, of the universe. Therefore, he could not have had a beginning, like John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. And so the things we can see and feel seem to be permanent in this world, don't they, a lot of times? Don't they seem to be permanent? It's, it's, why, it's why we need the ground to shake under us once in a while, to remind us. We need an earthquake every once in a while to shake our lives up and to show us, well, actually, we, we need God who is the unchangeable, eternal one. And the Bible's talking about that here, that things are just going to roll up. They're going to change. But no, Jesus doesn't change. He's the same. And so the things we see and we feel seem so unchangeable. But these are going to perish. The Bible says, even in Revelation, that this present earth and heavens have to be destroyed because of sin. Creation is going to be changed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. But there is something that doesn't change, and that's the Creator. So men come and go. Worlds come and go. Even stars come and go. Angels were subjected to some form of a decay. Some of them fell, proven that. So even they didn't stay the same. Some A third of the angels fell and went with Satan. So even they can't stay the same. As amazing as they are, but Jesus stays the same. Christ never changes. He's not subject to change. and, and He's not subject to any alterations at all. He's eternally the same. Therefore, that makes Him superior to angels. And then number five. Christ is superior because He rules the universe. He rules the whole universe, which He Himself made. Now, Verse 13 says, To which of the angels has he said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Well, that, that hasn't happened. No angel's ever been promised a place at God's right hand, but that's where Jesus is today. The Bible says Jesus is at God the Father's right hand, that place of, of exaltation and honor. So only the Son is going to sit there. Angels aren't going to get that position. So the destiny of Christ is that ultimately everything in the universe is going to be subject to Him. Philippians says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, well, well, that's not happening at the moment. I know. So when is that going to happen? Well, it, it, it will when Christ returns, His second coming. It's going to happen. So when He comes back in glory... They will either bow willingly or they will be forced 
to bow before King Jesus. So the destiny of Jesus Christ is an eternal reign over the new heavens and the new earth. Now notice the last verse in chapter 1 gives the destiny of God's angels. So the angel's destiny here is different from Jesus. Jesus reigns eternally, but what about the angels? What's their destiny? Well, their destiny is to serve. They're servants. Who do they get to serve? What did verse 14 say? Verse 14 says these angels are ministering spirits sent out by who? Jesus. Jesus sends them out. What are they doing? They're serving for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation or eternal life, whatever you want to call it. Right? They serve believers. They serve Christians. Jesus gives them that ministry. It's a wonderful prospect for us, is it not? That Jesus cares about you enough that He has ministering servants, ministering angels to help you in your time of need. So in addition to being forever in God's presence, our destiny is to be served by angels, and notice it is forever. Forever. There's many examples we could look at in the Bible. Let me just share a few with you that that are, that are incredibly interesting. How do angels serve God's people? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example here in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings, here's the context. We have the prophet Elijah and his servant. Uh, they are surrounded by the enemy, which is the, the king of, of Syria, sorry, king of Syria and his army. They have no way of defending themselves against this vast army. No way. They cannot possibly defeat this army. And here's what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You might say, well, let me just be crystal clear here. Who were riding the horses and the chariots of fire? Well, obviously not people, not the king of Syria. These were angels. God sent angels to protect and deliver the saints from danger. That's what angels often do. We we see this over and over again. Let me give you a few more examples very quickly. For example, angels... Well, you'll, you'll see the angels in the picture there, somebody's drawing. They were there protecting God's people, at least Elijah and his servant. But angels also rescued Lot and his family who were in Sodom and Gomorrah there. They were great danger. God's going to send down fire from heaven and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God wanted to save Lot and his family. What did God do? He sends his messenger, he sends an angel to bring 
to bring his family and save them. What did God do for Daniel? Daniel's trusting in God. Daniel's thrown into this lion's den. The Bible says the angels sat down, or they they were there, I should say, at least one, was there and closed the mouth of the lions so that they would not kill Daniel. And we know what happened to the, to the guys who were thrown in later. Obviously, the lions were, it's not that they weren't hungry, because they ended up killing and devouring the men who were thrown in later. But the angel closed their mouths and protected Daniel. It's a comforting truth, is it not? To know that angels minister to us. Let me tell you more of a modern story that I've enjoyed over the years. True story, by the way, from Vanuatu, which used to be called the New Hebrides. So on a dark night, this is about 100 years ago, a Scottish missionary couple, the Patents, they found themselves surrounded by the cannibals of the New Hebrides there, or Vanuatu, and these cannibals were intent on killing the Patents. And so that night they fell to their knees. They heard them coming to their house. So they, f- they fell to their knees and they prayed that God would protect them. They had no way of defending themselves. They were, were vastly outnumbered. They had no weapons. But of course the cannibals did. And so as they prayed, they expected the savages at any moment to come through the door. And they were surprised when they didn't. And so as the sun began to rise, they found that the natives retreated into the forest. And so the couple praised God. They rejoiced that God had protected them from the cannibals. Well, the missionaries bravely continued on in their missionary work. And uh, it was about a year later after that event that the chief of that village, of that tribe, became a Christian. He was converted to Christ. He put his faith in Christ alone. And so as the missionary was speaking to the chief, he remembered the horror of that night. And so as as they were speaking, the the chief asked why uh, he and his men had not killed them. So so John Patton was talking to the chief. He asked him, hey, why didn't you kill us? (laughs) Why not? And so here's the chief's reply. Who were all those men who were with you? And so the missionary answered, why, there were no men with us. There was just my wife and myself. And the chief began to argue with John, saying, there were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling around your house so we could not attack you. So John knew who he was referring to. It's an amazing story, an astounding story. And by the way, That story is not unique. Read church history. It is repeated over and over again, many times. It's a story that has been repeated many times throughout church history. And so I can't help but wonder, how many times has our Lord Jesus Christ sent His army of angels to protect His people over and over again? He's done it probably for you, and you may not even know it. Maybe, maybe some of you do. I'd love to hear the stories. Some have, by the way, some have called, uh, I don't know if this was John Patton who came up with this or who, but some have called this God's 
missionary protection platoon. <laughs> it's amazing how often these guys show up and protect God's people, they, they, and how often they're described as having flaming swords. Scary-looking individuals, tall, mighty-looking people. They don't look like girls. <laughs> and they certainly don't look like fat little babies, you know, holding a harp. Scary that even, even the cannibals would run away from them. Well, that's God's angels sent to minister to His people. I hope you're comforted and encouraged by that. But let's not, let's not lose sight of the big picture here. Let's not lose sight of really who is supreme here. Who made those angels to protect you? What we need to recognize in Hebrews chapter 1, we see an amazing Christ. In fact, let me just rehash a few things here for you. We see the deity of Christ. We see a Christ who is established on His throne He has divine names. He is called, just a few things in chapter 1, He's called the Son, He's called Lord, and He's called God. And so by divine works, we see Him creating, sustaining, governing, redeeming, and purging sin. By divine worth, He is the one who is to be worshipped by all angels, by all creatures throughout the universe. And by divine attributes, we see in chapter 1 here, He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is the unchanging and eternal one. So here's the point, my friends. In all ways, He is superior over everything. And in particular, we see Him here in verses 4-14 to that Jesus is superior over angels. He is to be proclaimed as the Supreme One. May God give us His grace to proclaim Him as supreme and superior over all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this revelation of Jesus Christ. May we firmly believe, because this is what You want us to believe, obviously, from this text, that Christ is supreme over angels. He is God. He has divine works. He has divine worth. And He clearly has divine attributes. May we believe who He is as He has been revealed in Holy Scripture. May we proclaim Him to be who He is. May we not compromise on the person and work of Christ. We often are tempted, and too often we do deny Christ and don't lift Him up to be who He really is, at least before unbelievers. So forgive us when we deny Christ as Peter did. May we exalt Christ. May we talk about Him as He really is. May we live out a life as a Christian, a follower of Christ as He he ought to be. So may the, the truth of Scripture reign in our hearts so that we would live this out. So by Your grace, make us a people who proclaim the superior of Christ over all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.